Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Navigating Education Podcast, episode number 62, Coaching Teachers in 2023 with Dr. John Shambari. And we're here to talk tonight about looking at the trends of the past 2022 and even before that, um, in the quote unquote new normal, looking towards 2023 and looking at some ideas, strategies, and insights to help everyone from coaches to building leaders to district leaders, you know, confront a lot of the different challenges that we're facing education relating to new instructional practices, teacher retention, building sustainable learning environments for them, as well as, you know, providing the best uh, opportunities for our students to learn and grow. So, a little bit about our guest tonight. Uh, Dr. Shambari is a school improvement consultant with various organizations, such as the Center of Educational Innovation, uh, Fordham University in New York City, and the School of Culture and Climate Initiative in New Jersey. And he's also teaching student teachers at Brooklyn College. So John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. Definitely. So. Um, before we, you know, jump too much into uh, the topic tonight, how can our audience get to know you a little bit more about yourself? So tell us a little bit about, you know, more than just a description, but, you know, what's your background in education and how did you get to where you are now? Sure. So uh, as you were saying before, I currently consult with several different organizations. So right now I am an independent educational consultant. And what that means is I generally do a lot of one-on-one teacher coaching, uh, PLC or professional learning community coaching. And then depending on the contract, I also do a little bit of leadership coaching, working with principals and other administrators in district settings to really help them see how they want to improve their school communities and really ensure that students are not only that are group that students are growing and achieving. So that's what I'm doing now. I was an administrator myself prior to this. I was a curriculum director in a district in New Jersey. And then I've also been a leadership development facilitator with various organizations such as New Visions for Public Schools in New York City. And like probably many people uh, watching our conversation and hopefully later chiming in, I was a teacher and a supervisor and, and worked my way up in those, in those uh, admin roles. Got it. So you've been in a, quite a number of roles, which is great because you can have a well-rounded experience regarding, you know, coaching and also from the teacher perspective, as well as, you know, thinking out about it, at the building and, and district level, which is awesome because, you know, there's so many different facets of talking about this and many systems that go into this as well. And in addition to, you know, the dynamics of content and uh, relationships that, you know, you have with teachers and um, other leaders and buildings. So, definitely really, really important. So yes, very much so. I mean, okay. especially you were mentioning Matt. the, 
you know, really working on systems and, you know, coaching one-on-one -on -one teachers is great. And yes, that's a big part of what I do. But yes, we have to think about how we coach for systemic improvement as well. Definitely. And I, we'll, we'll touch on that tonight for sure. So, um, you know, based on your work right now, you know, you get to see a wide variety of different schools and districts. You know, what do you think are the main challenges schools are facing? And then also, you know, take this question and think about in terms of the coaching piece. Sure. So and I don't think this is going to come as a surprise. One major challenge right now is students, emotional and social and social well-being, right? So we've come back from the pandemic. We're moving away from the pandemic. But I really see in the classes where I'm observing instruction, the students really are still having a hard time regulating themselves, learning and how to cooperate with one another, for example, how to do group projects. Whereas maybe before COVID, at every level, within the K-12 system, we could expect that students have had certain life development skills, the pre-skills the year before coming into whatever current grade they're in. But that can't be taken for granted anymore, especially given that so many students were learning online, alone, in isolated settings in their rooms, wherever, on the kitchen table. So that's definitely one major challenge that schools are facing. Whereas, yes, you're, you're a teacher teaching content, but how do we teach those life skills? And then how do we help our students to feel more confident? How do we deal with any trauma they might have from the last couple of years? So also bringing in social emotional learning within the structure of the classroom. So that's definitely a major challenge. And then obviously the burnout that teachers are feeling is a, is a major challenge. So many teachers, you know, did an amazing job over the course of the pandemic, teaching remotely, teaching virtually, trying to keep those students focused and engaged. Uh, but it's a, definitely a challenge. And so I think the other challenge is, along with dealing with student social emotional needs and life skill needs, really developing a classroom environment where the students are engaged, they're enjoying learning, uh, and that they're also in control of themselves and have a certain amount of self-awareness. And then again, can work with others in figuring out what their next moves are as people, as students, like what do they need to do to be successful? Uh, you know, a lot of, lot of stress out there to do that. Definitely. And I, I think that just more so than before, you know, I think just our students have been exacerbated emotionally over the course of a number of years. It took an open wound and opened it even further. And, you know, regarding that, just, just, you know, I heard last year, you know, seeing classrooms, you know, behavior seemed a little bit more unusual. But this year, I feel like it's gotten way much more escalated. You, you hear a lot more of um, outbursts, fights and, and those type of things, because I think just what you mentioned, this idea of self-regulation, as well as the ability to, you know, begin really processing and coping with what's happened and just not having those supports over the last number of years. And it's just, you know, exasperating and 
And we're, we're seeing that it's become very, very difficult in some circumstances. And, and really how can, you know, teachers be, you know, the boots on the ground that can help work along with other stakeholders in, in the school community and how can we, you know, create the sports not only in the classroom, but within the school as well as hopefully um, at home and in, in, in the community. And um, yeah, you mentioned so many different factors. So let's jump into really how can we start solving some of these solutions with just working with teachers on certain practices and focusing on, you know, if I was an instructional coach or, or you know, leader in a building, even a district, you know, what should be my, um, you know, playlist of things that, you know, we should start, you know, really thinking about, you know, from, you know, individual level as well as thinking about, you know, what can we do more, you know, at the building level as well to help coach teams? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think number one, we have to help teachers figure out how to integrate some of the things that we just talked about and we'll talk about in a minute in a way where it's not extra or on top of what they're already doing. Because again, they're burnt out. So for example, how do we build in SEL practices within their current lesson, lesson plan structure, right? How do we help educators use some simple discussion strategies where students can be working with students? How can we help uh, teachers really to use accountable talking stems with students when they work together? And then how do we build in that self-reflection piece? The self-reflection piece and the peer reflection piece at the end of every lesson so that way students are developing those uh, self-growth and regulation skills, as well as start to be self-advocates for where they are in meeting certain uh, standards or objectives, learning objectives, and where they themselves have to go next, right? Because let's face it, our students are not always going to have teachers holding them ha their hands doing this. And especially if students are now behind the eight ball, so to speak, in their social, emotional, and uh, personal life skills development, not only do we need to build those into our current systems of teaching or current lessons, but we have to do it with speed because we have to play catch up. So I would say, number one, Think about not only what, as a teacher, you're teaching, right? Not only think about your content, but think about how you can build in student engagement and discussion and group work, right? Because, and then not only just build it in, but really be, really be thoughtful and, and uh, plan that out. So in other words, does everyone in a group have roles? Are there opportunities to evaluate your own contributions to the group, as well as the contributions of your group as a whole? What in, you know, let's say activity A, did we do well? Where do we need to do better next time? So I think those are some simpler ways to build in the social emotional development skills, right? I think also building in welcoming rituals and gratitude rituals so that way students feel and understand that they matter they matter as individuals 
and they matter as a class and they matter to one another. What you do as an individual does have impact on others in your classroom and vice versa. So is the teacher bringing in, like I said, those welcoming protocols or even as an exit ticket, are students showing gratitude towards one another in terms of what they thought their classmate did really well? I see many great teachers, Matt, doing positive narration across K-12, such as, oh, Johnny, you're doing a great job taking notes. But what if we start having our students doing more of that vis-a-vis -vis each other? And then I think, too, another tool or another way to bring this into what we're already doing, teachers do a lot of work grading and assessing. <laughs> so you're let cook we know right and that's one driver that makes people leave the profession but and i'm not saying this can completely replace teachers sitting at the kitchen table grading till 11 o'clock at night but i don't think we have to grade everything that we grade in the way we do i think we could also be bringing our students into the process of self-analysis and peer assessment right and realizing that not everything has to have a teacher grade because a lot of the assessments that we're giving our students should be to assess how well a student is moving towards mastering a standard. So if there's quantitative evidence and qualitative evidence that's being generated by students to, uh, in terms of how well they're mastering a standard, we don't have to assign everything a formal summative grade. So I think that's the other area where we could be starting to bring in some of these life skills, social, emotional learning techniques into what we're already doing academically in our classes. Yeah, no, I like how you just, you know, provide three major facets of, you know, putting that, you know, those practices into everyday lessons. And I think, you know, beginning with SEL, I love the notion of, you know, daily gratitude and then having the students moving from the teacher to the students providing, you know, positive reinforcements to each other. I also, um, I really think just especially with students and even going into, you know, I think middle school and even high school, utilizing, um, you know, kind of like emotional placemats where they can self-regulate that way and discuss kind of where they're at and have that conversation. Yeah. I feel X because, and, you know, incorporating that within just normal welcoming dialogue or even in within the self-reflection piece. Um, and I like the notion of utilizing, you know, very similar strategies within collaboration and, and collaborative problem solving. I, re I really think that that is going to be, you know, that's super helpful. Um, relating to working in groups. I just read the recent um, Google research report, part one that came out and biggest thing, you wanna guess what came out is the biggest skill gap that we need to work on. Uh, communication and working with one another. I'm gonna take a stab because I have not read that report. So it is collaborative problem solving. So you're <laughs> right, you said it a little bit differently, but it, you know, Thematics aside, I think that it's, uh, you know, you're very much on the money there. So really incorporating these, you know, facets into this this collaborative and problem solving piece and, and it can be integrated. And I think just, you know, if you can integrate it into, if you're sitting down with a teacher and thinking, you know, parts of your lesson, whether it's elementary, secondary, university is just, you know, let's pinpoint these areas where you can just embed it every single day in your lesson. 
exactly just do it every single day and you know maybe have like three to five things you have in, in in your toolkit that you can just you know implement within the lessons regularly that really makes it sustainable and um something that's easy for them to plan um on it on a weekly basis and i also the la- oh yeah, the- no, go ahead go ahead yeah man. the last thing i wanted just to note is is that the grading piece i mean i think that there's been a lot of conversations about you know how much should you grade so it should be standards based should we just go grade list and just do a qualitative piece but i think doing less and just providing more whole class feedback in terms of looking at it from a sustainability and piece in terms of not spending all your time um, providing individual feedback. I think that's another um, and, you know, thing that you can do. So um, really, and I, and I think the hope is, is that the way that, I mean, I would sell this is, is working with teachers. Like I'm trying to get stuff off your plate and make it easier for you. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you said something that really resonated with me just now when you were talking about tools that teachers can be using over and over again to make the job easier. And especially with feedback, you know, there are a lot of good protocols out there on what effective group work looks like. Right. So if you're using an age and grade appropriate rubric in terms of, you know, what is effective collaboration you could actually be having the students go back to that over and over and judging their progress and their, that they're making, again, based on those uh, rubrics, right? So you're not constantly reinventing. So, you know, when I say that there should be less formal summative assessment, and like you're saying that the whole concept of, of feedback and when you give it, You know, if you're using things like rubrics, quality rubrics, if you're showing and highlighting exemplars of success, both in terms of student product and in terms of your student groups that are acting and cooperating in a way that they should be, right? That's still feedback, right? But it's not feedback given at the end. It's feedback throughout the learning process. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, if, for example, if the students are working in small groups or in pairs and you're able to see through maybe a digital tool, kind of like what's going on in terms of the trends of the project, you can see kind of like, hey, you know, what are some major things that you feel like that are the strengths? What are some areas of improvement? And then just stop the class and then put them up uh, on the board and then just essentially say, here's the things that I see. And can you take, you know, maybe you're looking at a rubric or something nature to the objective. And can you take that feedback and say like, hey, are we doing this? Are we not doing this? And then, you know, incorporate it in. And then at that point, maybe you can release to, if the, if you continue to see that that group is having that issue or those that pair, or even just thinking about it at the individual student level, then you go in and, and, and meet with them, so. Exactly, and I think, I think we maybe might be talking about this a little bit on in our conversation, but, I think it relates to this question too, in terms of where do we need to focus our coaching? And I think the other area that we really have to focus on is distributive leadership. Whereas it's not necessarily coaching that's top down anymore, where it's from administration to teachers. Exactly. But how do we look at coaching ourselves collectively Uh, you know, leadership is on all levels or should be on all levels of an organization. And how can we help teachers not only advocate for themselves and do their own coaching of themselves, 
but or you know going out and finding research and learning you yeah. know about where they want to you know grow as individuals and as practitioners but how do we start looking at coaching as a collaborative effort that is led by us for us within a school community and again i mean i know i'm an outside consultant on a lot of cases and in a way i guess i'm advocating to work myself out of a job right but some of the coaching that i do is around what coaching protocols and practices can school communities use so that way yes i do work myself out of a job but again at least i'm leaving that school community with some tools and strategies for how they can rely on themselves yeah. and if they're you know achieving if their students are growing and achieving as a result of that then my future work is based on that client's satisfaction with my coaching of them because let's face it matt there are a lot of schools where we can still be doing a lot more collaborative professional learning within our school communities on the district level and on the school level. Yeah. And, and I like how you segued right into that, this question. And <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm really big advocate for, I call it decentralized PD where essentially you meet your teachers where you're at and you have, you know, through PLCs, you provide newsletters, you provide coaching, you provide um, various different lanes that meet, where your organization's goals are and then create those outlets for them. To me, that's kind of what we like to do in, in, in my program that I am working with um, because, you know, for us, you know, there's teachers that have variety different needs, different levels, what their classes are, what their students are. And we want to just try to, you know, meet them where we're at through those variety of different options. And it's, you know, there's people within um, the PLCs and then, the schools, they do have a little bit of differentiations of those, but we want to keep those lanes um, open so that we can meet them where they're at and give them those options to, you know, get that content. Hopefully, like you mentioned, build that culture towards, you know, I am, you know, essentially in charge of my professional learning. Here's outlets that I have, and then I can, you know, go further there. Yeah, I like how you say and you use the word lanes. So I'll give an example. I'm currently working, one of my clients is a charter school in Brooklyn, New York, which is a borough in the city of New York. And this is actually a very high performing charter school. So, you know, there are times when I'm working with schools that really have to start at the basics to really ensure that their students are achieving and growing. This isn't that kind of school. This school, like I said, is you know, they're performing well, but they can be, for, be performing great. So their, their coaches, their coaches are, in, are vested within the organization of the school. So their role is, let's say, coach of ELA, coach of math, right? So they're full-time staff members, and they're all doing a really great job of coaching people within their subject areas, availing themselves to the teachers in their school within their subject areas whenever those teachers need resources and supports because they do do a lot of surveying of teachers in the community yeah. and that's what the teachers are coming back and saying so the coaches are very well received in this school but the missing piece has been organizing themselves horizontally 
yeah. amongst themselves in addition to what they're doing in each vertical or what they're doing in each content area. So in me coming in, again, they already know what good practice is. So I don't have to spend a lot of time teaching good practice. We've been spending our time doing you know, uh, more organizational things such as, well, what is a meeting structure for our meetings? And how can we be building in data review, data study, yeah. looking at student work, looking at instructional data in our meetings, and then collectively coming up, what are the next steps across content areas and across grade areas, right? I know every teacher and every subject area will have their own things that they're working on, but this school, like any school, can be really focusing on those areas of instruction that they feel could still be strengthened. And they know what those areas are because we've developed a walkthrough tool, right? A quantitative walkthrough tool that they're all now using. They're all now using the same tool. So now we're comparing apples with apples and oranges yes. with oranges. And so that's really been transformative in their practice. And now that they're doing that, my next push for them, Matt, is, all right, how do you take our meeting structure and our lead coaching team meeting and use a very similar meeting structure when you're meeting with each of the teachers in your subject area? How are you then having them rotate roles within the meeting structure as facilitator, timekeeper? And how are your teachers in each of your verticals or in each of your subject areas actually leading the work, looking at student, using looking at student work protocols, or, you know, how are your teachers taking turns at facilitating a conversation around the meaning of an article, right? And what that means for what we can embed, you know, in, in our school community. And then lastly, how do we start getting teachers leading more of the professional development, not just the lead coaches or the lead teachers, and I am happy to say that they are starting to do lesson study where their teachers are presenting a lesson to their colleagues who are then commenting on the glows and the opportunities for growth. And then they're going back and having other teachers reteach those same strategies, yep. you know, building in those growth opportunities. And I'm really seeing a difference. So. To, you know, to answer this question in terms of how do we organize it, I think your terminology of having different lanes and different levels of work where, again, we get our educators leading, leading ourselves mm -hmm. and developing an inquiry-based culture in our schools where we're not always looking for that outside consultant, but again drawing on our own resources within our schools and then again on a district level how would you do this on a district level well you know i i did some work in a, i used to work for another charter network as director of leadership and there and it wasn't just me it was our entire you know academic team and our school leaders at each of our buildings but we developed an affinity network where our teachers not our teachers sorry our leaders when they came into professional development uh, at central headquarters in Chicago, it was less of me and my colleagues saying, 
oh, you should do this. And this is how you're going to do it. And more use of problem and practice consultancies, highlighting in, you know, the good exemplars of good leadership going on in different schools that we had across the country. And then getting other school leaders to go visit those, you know, exemplar schools to replicate those best practices. Exactly. And I, and I like how, you know, the notion of leadership walks or school visits and the same thing applies to classrooms like learning walks or watching that exemplar piece in play. And I think that's truly, you know, powerful. I, I'm really glad that you discussed that because you can do that, you know, at each level of the school organization. So, you know, speaking of, you know, working with those teams that you were mentioning earlier, you know, what has been, you know, what has inspired them, you know, what have maybe you've done or what do you think has inspired them to, you know, begin implementing some of those new practices that you mentioned? Yeah, well, the team I'm working with, the example I gave, they're pretty, they're, they're a dream team to work with, right? Because they're each individually very excited about ownership and having teachers own the work. And they're very excited about doing well on behalf and for their students, right? So, you know, I think they're like number one or number two in terms of performance in Brooklyn as a charter network. So they get, they get excited about that and they should, right? So I would say, you know, if one is working with teachers who are not as, as excited to really try to tap into what they want to work on or what they want to improve, right? Because I think a lot of time we go in as coaches and say, well, do this or do it this way. And we don't really acknowledge the talent that they already bring to the situation. Or again, we go into it a lot of times, not really knowing all of the context and the background. So, you know, one way to really inspire, I think teachers in, in the coaching work that I do when possible, right? Sometimes this is like, you, you need to have, you need to be working with a self-aware teacher to do this. But when, when someone is self-aware, listen, listen to, yeah. you know, what they want to work on. Right. And then, you know, also think of different ways to coach. So yes, a fair amount of the work I might do is I might sit in their class and observe them teach. And then we might have a feedback conversation, but again, I don't think that conversation should automatically start at this is what you should do, but how do you think that went? What did you like? What would you change? Because a lot of times, Matt, you know, we're, we're in alignment with what I was going to say and what they were going to say. Right. So yep. it really starts developing more of a collegial approach where I'm their coach. Again, I'm not their administrator and we're a team. Their success is my success. Right. And I think too, to inspire folks, you need to mix it up. So maybe there's observation and feedback. Maybe you do some co-planning with each other. Maybe as a coach, you go in and you co-teach with the teacher or you provide exemplars for the teacher. Maybe even the exemplar could be their own teaching if you videotape you know, the teacher teaching the class. And then, then that way they can at least see their own instruction as well as maybe take those teachers or the teachers you're coaching on walks to other classrooms or like you mentioned, other schools. 
So to inspire, I think we need to meet the teachers where they're at and what they need and want and really listen to that. And then beyond that, really offer a variety of services and supports so educators can see you know, a strategy in action from different multiple vantage points, if that makes any kind of sense. Definitely. I 100% I, I agree. And that's my philosophy as well. You know, you do a variety of different things, you know, lead with questions. And then when they ask you a question, then you can respond and provide maybe, you know, your recommendation and suggestion. And it really just depends on just building that relationship over time too. what's going to best fit with that teacher. Sometimes just that conversation piece is great. Sometimes, you know, after, you know, that conversation, make, oh, you know, I can sit down with you and work on this lesson with you or co-teach this with you or show this with you. Um, or I can point you towards some examples that look like this or, you know, like you said, the video example. I mean, I think there's just a lot of different things. It's just really leading with those questions, learning who you're working with, building that relationship, and then, you know, taking those tools out of your box and, you know, working with them. So, yeah, the one thing I didn't mention that probably should be mentioned, I think there also needs to be forward momentum in any coaching relationship, right? And what, and that is what will success look like at the end of what we're doing together, right? So as a teacher, what success do you want to see? Because their success is my success, right? And But we need to have a deliverable. We need to have a success criteria where we know what we want to achieve by when, so that way there is that forward momentum in coaching. Because I think the other struggle with coaching sometimes is there isn't necessarily always a set expectation. And I'm not saying that that has to be an expectation coming from administration. It can be a self-determined expectation. But what is that goal that's going to push us to take that next step, right? Yeah, I like that notion of that progression piece. And that's something that I think for myself, that's where I want to continue to grow in is that, you know, what does that last, you know, what does that finished product, you know, may look like and how can we revolve our conversations throughout the school year to that, you know, end product goal. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. So. Yeah. As we go into 2023, I always ask everyone this question, regardless of everyone's context and education, what do you think are, you know, two to three tips that you recommend any educator that they could implement right now that can really, you know, support them as they move forward into the future? Yeah. So again, I think it is related ironically or luckily, however you want to look at it, to what we're talking about, right? So number one, we are all whole child educators. Education is about relationships, 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 relationships. Yes, I know that, and this came up actually, it's funny, Matt, in my college, Brooklyn College class the other night, where some of the teachers, they're all elementary school educators, at least as of now, student teachers. And they were saying, well, are there teachers out there that don't necessarily have a whole child mentality? Or why aren't all teachers building in SEL? And I said, well, you know, if you're looking at folks at the middle school or the high school level, there are people that go into teaching and there's nothing wrong with this because they're passionate about their content, right? And we need those people because if they have that passion, I'm going to get excited by social studies if my teacher is excited by social mm -hmm. studies, right? 
So I think we need those content-based people. But, you know, it's kind of like the strength of one is the area of growth for the other. Whereas elementary educators, I would say, you know, go deep, really learn different, like different ways to present material, bringing culturally relevant pedag like pedagogy and know the supports, know the resources and materials within deep within each content area. Whereas my middle and high school educators, I might say, don't forget about the relationship building, right? Don't forget that most of your students are not going to become historians, but they will use, you know, your work with them and how to read and how to analyze text and how to work in a group, right? So ultimately at the end of the day, Matt, tip number one is definitely we're all whole child educators. So focus on relationships, focus on student health and well-being, even more so than even your content, because that's what's going to really resonate. And if you're lucky at the same time, you might get a quarter of your kids over the course of your career who go into you know that content area, right? So that would be one tip. I think the other tip is, you know, really, you know, don't just look at grades and overall achievement, but do look at growth and how your students are growing in their self-actualization. And we talked about this in, in their ability to, you know, move their own goal setting forward, right? We really need to think of education, yes, as an art, but also as an opportunity to help people again, self-actualize, prioritize, and, 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 and I don't know what the term I'm looking for is, but, but have the ability to, to think on their feet for themselves and, uh, and to plan accordingly, right? And, and not just to be victims of circumstance, but to, you know, really persevere, have that grit. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And I think that you know, all those, you know, things that you mentioned can help any educator, any context, but I liked how you framed it towards, you know, may kind of look different in some contexts as well of what those things may look like. So I really appreciate it, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. And can you tell the audience real quickly, you know, how can we get to learn more about you and your work and connect? Sure. You can look for me on LinkedIn at John Shambari. Uh, and you'll find me there. I post a lot on LinkedIn. I also write articles on a career platform called Work It Daily, so you could find me there as well. And lastly, I do have online courses through Teachable. Uh, my the courses are Have a Life Teaching uh, is my uh, is my uh, name there for those online courses as well. So people can find me in any of those locations. Awesome, that's fantastic, and I hope uh, the listeners do connect. So for everyone that's listening, thank podcast on my website matthewroads.com or you can go to youtube and follow me at matt Rhodes 1990 in addition uh we have episodes coming out basically bi-weekly at this point and i hope to connect with you on social media at matt Rhodes 1990 on twitter dr matt on facebook and uh just matthew Rhodes on linkedin so thank you everyone for coming and listening to this episode and we will see you next time have a good one everyone bye everyone